you don't know me, my name's Paul. I was born and raised in the northeast of Brazil. My mum and dad worked there for quite a number of years. Um, but this church has always been part of my life. The church supported my mum and dad in their work in Brazil over that 24-year period. And I've always felt really privileged to be part of this community. I was talking to a friend of mine this week who was interested in visiting the church. He hasn't turned up this Sunday, but I'm hoping he'll turn up soon. You'll spot him. He's well over six foot and built like a rugby player. Uh, but as I was talking to him, the more I talked to him, and he'd had some bad experiences of church in the past, and the more I talked to him, the more proud I felt to be a part of this community. There's just so much... So our church, Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church, has its own culture. We have our own way of doing things. And a, and a lot of the way we do things, I think, is brilliant. The, w- the way this church has a posture of serving the community, the number of things the church does to serve the community. So you've got the food bank, you've got bereavement course, divorce recovery, work with young people, work with older people. The way there's a team videoing for people that are isolating still at home so they can still be part of the community the way the church welcomes people from all different backgrounds. There's so much about our church, integrity with money. I know that when I give to the church, I know that money's going to be used well and not diverted off into something dodgy. There's so much about our church that I feel proud of and so much about our culture that I think is really special and valuable. We're talking with the kids this morning at the 10.30, taking the microphone around, saying, if you were describing our church to your friends at school, well, how would you talk about it? And there's so many good things. It's a caring place. It's a fun place. It's a place we learn about God. It feels like family. So many good things coming out. And yeah, there are areas where we can learn as a church. And there are some things where even within our church, we're different to each other. Within our church cultures, so in the way we dress, some people turn up in jeans and a t-shirt. Some people this morning had a full suit and tie on. In our timekeeping, some people arrive an hour before the service starts. Other people arrive (laughs) halfway through the sermon. I'm not not pointing anyone out, don't worry. And one of the things about our church culture is we have a, a, a habit in preaching of working through books systematically and not dodging hard passages. And I've been working through the book of Philippians since the 18th of September 2016. And tonight is the last time I'll be preaching on Philippians, I think. It's, we're reaching the end of the, pa- end of the book. There was a gap for COVID. Um, now, Philippians is a letter from the Apostle Paul, and he's writing to a group of new Christians, or a fairly new church in the city of Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. He's writing from prison. He's probably in Rome in prison, and he's writing to a church in a Roman colony, the city of Philippi. And as I read the end bit of Paul's letter... I was struck by the way that Paul and the Philippians have their own culture between them, their own way of doing things, their own way of interacting, just like we do. So last time I spoke on Philippians, a few weeks ago, I talked about something that Paul repeats quite a lot in his writing. He repeats something along these lines quite a lot. So this is 1 Corinthians 11. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And then reading Proverbs this week, I've been reading the book of Proverbs. This is Proverbs chapter 12. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. So my question is, what advice can we take from their culture over nearly 2,000 years ago in a different part of the world? And how can we learn from those brothers and sisters all those years ago 
to be more like the kind of community God wants us to be here and now in November 2021 in the Midlands, in England. And all I'm going to do tonight is I'm going to take two things that I noticed about their way of doing things, their culture, and draw them out. Um, and the two things that I thought, that's a really good way to be as a community of people. So all I'm going to do is draw these two things out and then think specifically what that could look like here and now in our day. Just really important thing to say is I'm not saying these are things that we're getting wrong as a church. They're things that I saw and I thought that's a really beautiful way to be. And if we could be even more like that, that would be a good thing. And then, so I'm going to draw those two things out. At the end, we're going to have about a minute just to sit in silence um, and kind of digest and ask God to speak into what we've heard. Like Kath said, if you've got any questions, there's a number appearing now. If you've got any questions uh, that you'd like to ask about tonight, feel free to do that. We'll be doing that straight after the sermon, so get your questions in. You can use the time of silence if you want to, or any comments. I know I'm not going to cover everything that's there in this passage tonight. I'm just drawing out two things, but if you have any comments you'd like to add, we'll try and get through those. Uh, Okay, so I'm going to ask Kath to come up. She's going to read. This is the end of Philippians, so chapter 4, verses 10 to 23. And Paul's finishing his letter by thanking the Philippians for a financial gift that they've sent to him. So the Philippians had sent a guy called Epaphroditus with a load of money for Paul in his jail cell, uh, and Paul's thanking them. And just as Kath's reading, keep that question in mind. What can we learn from their way of doing things? What can we learn from their culture? Over to you, Kath. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I am looking for what may be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Aphrodite's the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kath. It's a bit of a curveball this morning when Kath was reading, because on the previous slide he ends with Amen, and then he adds a little bit on after. (laughs) <laughs> so Kath got up to go, I was like, oh, wait, hang on, Kath, there's a little bit more on the end. <laughs> um, let's just pray together. Father, I'm so grateful to you for your church, 
and for your word. And we're really grateful that you're here present by your Holy Spirit. And I pray you come and speak to us now as our king, as our dad. We're here, Lord, and we're open to you. Pray you'd shape us into what you want us to be. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. So the first thing I noticed, the first thing that stuck out to me when I was reading that passage, getting ready for tonight, was the way that Paul and the Philippians interacted with each other. You get the feeling they really liked each other. There's a warmth in the way that they talk to each other. In fact, the whole tone of the book of Philippians is known as being really warm. So all of Paul's letters, you can tell that Paul loves the churches. But Philippians as a book is known as being Paul's sort of most joyful and warmest letter. It really stands out in that way. So if you look right at the beginning of Philippians, chapter 1, verse 8, Paul writes this, God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. The question is, where does that warmth come from? You know, if, if us lot here decided, all right, we're going to all be really warm towards each other, I don't think you can just sort of manufacture warmth. So the question is, where does that warmth come from? You can't just bring it out of thin air. I think one clue to it lies in something that Kaf read just now. So this is chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. Paul writes this, Yeah, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. So what's going on there? If you read the book of Acts, which tells the story, a lot of the book of Acts is about Paul and what he was doing. It tells about how Paul really put himself out and invested a lot in reaching different towns and cities with the good news about Jesus or the gospel. He wanted people to know and he invested, he risked his life. He was beaten up, he was thrown into prison, he had death threats, but he wanted people to know the good news about the kingdom of God coming on earth through Jesus. And so he was risking himself and investing himself into communities. And he did that with the Philippians. He invested his life into them. But the Philippians reacted in a way that was slightly different to the other churches. They behaved in a way that was different. So Paul went to Philippi. He, he told the good news about Jesus. And a small church started to form. If you, you can read this in Acts chapters 16 and 17. So he's fr And then... The authorities of Philippi, a few people that were against Paul, accused him of disturbing the peace. He's thrown into jail. And then when he's released, he meets with the church again and gets ready to go off to the next city, which is called Thessalonica. Now, Acts doesn't tell us this, but Paul tells us here in Philippians that what happened right from the word go, so from the very beginning of this church, the Philippians decided they were going to support Paul financially. So he says, right from the beginning, when you first heard the gospel, you supported me, even when I went to Thessalonica. So that's what he's saying there. And Paul clearly didn't expect that from him. He doesn't tell other churches off for not supporting him financially. He's not expecting it. But the Philippians chose to be committed to him. And he says, they kept it up. You sent me aid again and again. In fact, if you look into it, the letter to the Philippians, Paul's writing this thank you letter for their gift. The gift that they'd sent him, that he's thanking them for, was probably sent about 10 years after the first, they first started supporting Paul. So he says, you supported me again and again, and that's been going on for probably about 10 years at the point when Paul's writing. So they've been consistently investing in Paul for years. And that's the first thing I want to point out in the culture that they have, oh, it's come up already, um, is that there are people who are consistently 
committed to each other. And you might be thinking, hang on a minute, weren't you talking about warmth a minute ago? What's warmth got to do with being consistently committed? Is it just that Paul liked them because they gave him lots of money, so he liked them more? Were they just being warm with each other to see what they could get out of each other? I don't think that's quite where it is. So Paul goes on, this is verse 17 of chapter 4. He says, not that I'm looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Okay, what's Paul talking about here? It sounds like banking all of a sudden. What's Paul saying here? I think another really good thing about this church's culture is, um, and I learned this from Donald, I'd never really thought like this before, is the way that when we read the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, we try to understand it through the way that Jesus lived and explained things. So we try to understand the scriptures through the lens of Jesus, if that makes sense. So as we're reading the Bible, we try and understand it in the context of Jesus. And I think we can understand what Paul means here through something that Jesus said. So this is Jesus talking in the Sermon on the Mount. So this is Matthew chapter 6. Jesus says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. So he's talking about money. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So what Paul's saying here is that the Philippians have sent in this gift, but what they're really doing is they're investing in heaven. It's not really so much about him. You might be saying, hang on a minute, we're still not getting onto why this is about warmth. What's this got to do with warmth? Does anyone know what the next thing Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 21? So do not, do not store up treasure on earth. Jesus says this, this is verse 21, the very next thing he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I've got a friend in Brazil, his name's Jorge, which is Portuguese for George. Uh, he's recently married. He's got a number of dogs. He works a really interesting job. He works with young offenders in Brazil, so kids that have been involved in violent crime and drugs trafficking. Uh, and I talk to him fairly regularly. But the thing, even though he's only just recently got married, the thing that really lights his eyes up, the thing that really gets him excited is his toad. This is his toad, Minotauro, or Minotaur, that's what he's named it. Apparently it's a massive toad. I've not seen it in the flesh, I've just seen pictures. He sent me a video last night of him dancing with it. Uh, <laughs> it's his pet toad. So basically he's, he lives in a small house in the city and he's got a little backyard. And one day this great big toad appeared in the back of his garden. And he thought, what I'll do is, even though I'm quite busy and I've got a lot going on, I'm gonna build you a little cave for you to live in. And he built this lovely little cave for this toad. And then it's quite a hot city where he lives, so he thought the toad's going to get hot. So he brought a drawer out of his house, filled it with water, and made it a little swimming pool. Uh, and he just got more and more invested in this toad. And he takes pictures with it, he takes videos with it. Uh, when he, when he, so in Brazil, it's important to cut back all the, the, the plants that grow up, just in case you get snakes or spiders or whatever. But he's very careful to leave plants around where the toad's little cave and, and his pool is because he wants it to look nice for me not to out of the toad. And the toad's sort of <laughs> become this really precious thing in my friend Georgie's life. I mean, he's recently married. <laughs> but what gets him really excited is this toad. What am I going on about? Um, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is, Jesus is very clear, and this is a rule that applies to all of life. The way that you invest the things that are most precious to you, 
So your money, your time, your actual focus, concentrating time, your most valuable possessions, your home, the way you invest those things determine where your heart is. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where your affections lie most deeply. Jesus is saying that what you most invest in becomes what you love. And as you choose what you're investing in, you're deciding what your heart is growing in love for and affection for. So at the beginning of of the letter to the Philippians, Paul says this. This is chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. He's talking to them. He's saying, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. So I think the reason the Philippians and Paul are so warm with each other is because they were fully committed through each other in God's kingdom. They'd invested in each other. Paul had invested in them, and they were investing in Paul, and through that, in God's kingdom. You might be sat there thinking, okay, fine, what's that got to do with me sitting here? My question to you this evening, very simply, is do you want what they had? Do you want what Paul and the Philippians had? Are you happy with your life as it is now? Or do you want to be involved in something that's bigger and warmer and scarier and more demanding and more exciting and probably with people you don't know properly yet? Because the thing is, if you want to experience what warm Christian community actually looks like, we need to be together of people that are invested in the kingdom of God, not just passively invested, giving our spare time and whatever's left over, but actively looking for the need and giving our best, not just as a one-off, but as a committed, consistent thing over months and years and decades. My friend Georgi, I was talking to him yesterday, and he said, here in Brazil and in, in the Americas, the drug traffickers, the big drug lords, are willing to invest huge amounts of money in helicopters and the latest guns and training their guys so that they're on the edge, so they're ready to face other gangs and the police. He said they invest huge amounts of money. And so people, when it comes to evil, people are willing to invest vast amounts. But he said when the church is called to invest in what's good in the world, when it comes to investing in what's good, people tread on eggshells. People give what's left over. People don't want to talk about giving. He said when it comes to evil, people invest loads of money. But when it comes to good, People tread on eggshells. Oh, I don't know about that. So you might be thinking, where do I start? How do I do that? How do you invest in the kingdom of God? What does that look like for us today? It's very simply three questions. Number one, ask yourself, where have I seen the kingdom of God appearing? It might be in an individual. It might be in a place. It might be in a group of people. It might be in an organization. Where have I seen the kingdom of God appearing? And then number two, if you take the answer to number one, how can I invest what's most valuable to me there? It doesn't have to be money always. Paul didn't have much money, so he wrote a letter. He used his words. You can use your words to invest in people. You can use your time. And then number three, how can I make sure I'm consistent so my investment lasts for years rather than just a few weeks? And then if you really want a challenge... Talking about warmth, if you are part of this community and you notice there's a 
an area within our community where there's not much warmth, where it's difficult, where it's a bit cold and standoffish, instead of moving away or complaining about it, why not ask yourself, how can I invest myself in that part of our community so that my investment brings warmth and brings transformation? It's a challenge. How can I use my life to change that? Okay, so that's the end of the first point. That's the end of the first thing that I've seen in the way they do things, the first thing in their culture. There are people who are consistently committed to each other. Oh, I'm jumping ahead of the gun. Now we're moving on to the second thing. And this one's shorter, don't worry. This one's much shorter. So you might be asking yourself, OK, so we need to be a people who are consistently committed to each other. All right, I get that. But how invested do I need to be? I still need to live. I still need a house. I need food. You know, I might have people, family that are dependent on me. How much do I need to be invested? Or I'm already investing in the kingdom of God. How much do I need to give? I think Paul looked at it in a slightly different way. If we go back to the passage for tonight, this is verses 11 to 13. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And then a few verses down, he's talking about the Philippians and their generosity. This is verse 19. He says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So the way Paul frames the question isn't so much how much should I give. It's more that he's saying, I know God will provide for me however much he calls me to give. And that frees you up. And that's the second thing I wanted to draw out of the, their way of doing things together. So number one, there are people who are consistently committed to each other. And then secondly, so it's C's, consistently committed to each other. Number two, there are people who are confident in God's capacity. So people who are consistently committed to each other. Number two, there are people who are confident in God's capacity. There are people in our community here. There are people here tonight who over years and years and years have invested their lives in the kingdom of God in a big way and given and given and given of themselves, given what's most valuable to them. They've been consistently committed over years and you can talk to them. There are people here in this room like that. And if you talk to them, you will hear stories about suffering, about frustration, about loss, about years and years of things not going the way they thought they would. You'll hear those stories. But if you carry on talking with them, if you ask them two questions, number one, if you ask them, did God provide what you needed? Then you'll start to hear stories about the way God provided when it didn't seem like it was possible. Through normal people or through miraculous ways, the way God provided for them when they didn't think there was any way out and the way God's provided over years and years. And then number two, if you ask them, all those years of giving yourself for the kingdom of God, was it worth it? Was it worth putting all of that in? And then you'll start to hear stories of what God did through those people, of the way God's transformed lives, of the way God's transformed society through those people as they've invested themselves again and again in the pain, in the suffering, 
If you've not been part of this community for a long time, I'd encourage you to get to know some of the people here. Some people here who look like totally normal people but have lived extraordinary lives. Going back to what Jesus said, back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. There are people who are confident in God's capacity. This is Jesus again. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus promised us that we would have suffering in following him, but he also promised that he'd provide for our needs. And lots of his followers today, often in other parts of the world, are literally giving their lives for the kingdom of God. They're being killed because they follow Jesus. And other people laying down their lives in very painful ways. But God's people lean on him. And they trust that even if they die, God will provide a reward. God will provide a home. And it will be worth it. So, and, and ultimately, we're following Jesus, who invested his whole life in us because he wanted to have that warmth with us. He wanted to have that community with us. He laid down his whole life. And when you start walking down that road, and I'm very near the beginning of that road, but I know people that have walked it for years, you see life going from being pretty pointless, really, to being purposeful. Be going, go from being people who are inward-looking and self-centered to people who are outward-looking and satisfied and content. We go from having safe, protected, small lives to being part of a big, warm community. So what does that look like here and now? If we take, so remember the three questions from earlier, where have I seen the kingdom of God appearing? How can I invest what's most valuable to me there? And how can I make sure I'm consistent? I think, don't ask yourself, how much do I need to give before I tick the giving box? But instead, ask yourself, how much of my life can I invest in God's kingdom? Do I trust him to provide? How hard can I lean on him? And walking down that path is scary, but it's also exciting. Some of you in the room will know this lady on the right she died about eight years ago. That's my nan, Granny Jean. She was a part of this community for years and years. That's her twin sister who's still alive, Auntie Helen. Um, and Granny Jean was a fairly normal lady. She grew up in Erdington, uh, trained as a midwife. And all her life, she invested herself in the kingdom of God. She was never very wealthy. In fact, she was pretty poor her whole life. And she faced some big challenges. She had some big struggles. She had some really difficult periods in her life. But all her life, she was consistently committed to God's people and to doing what God wanted her to do in the world. And she kept at it for years and years. Grace is nodding. Grace knew her. Um, and my granny Jean, she would always keep on giving and giving. And she would always trust that God would provide for her needs. And sometimes it was very difficult. Sometimes they struggled financially. Uh, they, my nan worked over in South America and then she came back with five kids to the UK and struggled without an income for a long time but God provided and she trusted that God would provide so she was giving and in her giving she was trusting God would provide and right towards the end of her life my nan got Alzheimer's, uh, dementia and right towards the end, towards the end of her life when she was very near to dying, very advanced dementia 
she was, I can't remember if she was in a hospital or in a care home right at the end, and she was talking with my mum, and she was saying, I want to go home. And that's something that a lot of people in care homes say because they want to go back to their house. And my mum was kind of trying to explain, no, mum, you know, you, you need, you're quite poorly now and you're getting the care you need here. And she was sort of frustrated and she said, no, no, I want to go home. I want to go home. And the thing was, my nan, she'd spent her whole life investing in God's kingdom and trusting God to provide. And what she meant was, I've been giving and giving and giving, and I'm, I'm fed up with it now. I'm, I'm ready for Jesus to give me the home he's promised me. She didn't mean her, her flat down here on, in, in Sutton. She meant the home that Jesus had promised. She was trusting in him to provide that, and that was the home she wanted. She was ready for it. I want to go home. So for us, as a community here at Sutton Coldfield Baptist Church, how can we learn from our brothers and sisters from years and years ago the way they did things? How can we be a people who, number one, are consistently committed to each other in a way that's generous and long-lasting and produces warmth and community among us? But also, number two, how can we be a people who are confident in God's capacity, leaning on him, trusting him, that will provide what we need each day? just going to have probably about a minute now of silence. Um, and it might be you sat here and you're thinking, none of this is really for me. In which case you can think about how your weekend's been, what you're going to have for tea tonight, what you're doing tomorrow morning. You can take that time just to chill out. But if you want to, you can say, Lord Jesus, here's my life. Where do you want me to be investing my life now in these weeks and months ahead, in these years ahead? Would you speak to me? It might be that you've never really spoken to Jesus like that before. And I'd encourage you, when Jesus met people for the first time, very often what he'd say is, come, follow me. And if you want to, you just say to him very simply, here I am, Jesus, where do you want to lead me? So we're going to have a moment's silence now, just for a minute or so, and then I'll pray. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you you love this community. And thank you that you've got work for us to do as well that will give us a purpose and will change your world for good. Help us to trust your promise that you'll keep on providing as we invest ourselves in what you want us to do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for your kingdom here among us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Paul, that's been really helpful. You, yeah. you, you talked this morning um, in this sermon about, you used the term, I can't remember what it was, but basically if you get fed up or frustrated mm. with church, mm. and we all do, there, there is no perfect church as much as, you know, we all try and love each other and get along. There is no perfect church. Mm. When we find ourselves frustrated, what would you say are some of the key things that we need to do in response to that? Mm. It's a saying, isn't there, that if you find the perfect church, don't go to it because you'll ruin it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, sorry, what was the question, Kath? 
when you, when, the, when you come, when we're, yeah, when we're frustrated, it's not as we perhaps like it to be. What would be some of your tips on the, the how do you remain consistent with the longevity, even in a yeah. place that's not perfect? Yeah. But you know, God's called you to be there. You know, God's called you to be there. Um, for, I think the church is like a family, isn't it? And, and uh, in our family, we get frustrated and angry with each other most days. I don't know if anyone of you have been round to our house. <laughs> we can be quite explosive as a family and have a lot of rows and things and people get a little bit worried. But I think it's just, it's working through it and it's knowing that underneath it all, this is family and I'm committed and I love you and I'm going to stick it out. And I think when you've got that, you can start working through issues together. But if you've not got that commitment, if it's like you do things my way or I'm going to walk away, and you can't, I don't know, you can't do family like that, can you? If you're going to be out the door. Mm. But it's knowing that we have that commitment to that community and it's going to last years. And so let's work through this stuff. And that's hard. I mean, I, I don't know. Donald will probably say much wiser and more thought through things than me. But I think underlying it all, we have to have. So with our family, we can have big rows and say some deep things sometimes. But we all know that we value each other and we're committed to each other. And that's not going to go away no matter what happens. And so we have those rows, which on the surface look quite awful. But underneath that is that we know we're committed to each other 100%. And also that part of the reason we row is that we, I think we want each other to be better. And so we get frustrated with our weaknesses and their weaknesses, and that comes out. Yeah, We're working on it. We have less rows now. Each holiday, I reckon, we have fewer rows. <laughs> But it's normal. It's normal in family life. Joel's nodding. <laughs> I'm not going on your family holidays. I think, I mean, take our, ch our church as an example. We don't have these massive blow-ups and these massive rows just mm. to put you all at ease. But there is this sense, I think, that when you decide this is the place for me, mm. you know, a sense of maybe that's God speaking or whatever that might be, I am called to be here. I think then there will be little frustrations there'll be ways that we do things that perhaps aren't as we would want them to be um i would encourage us probably not to have a, a wilson-esque row no. about it <laughs> but i always think that it, it comes down to okay what's my response going to be to this mm. so i always think i need to be the one that's praying god would you give me a love and a compassion for those around me. I want your heart for this, this community. I think church so often has become, not this church, but church is fractured and it's about me and what I want and consumer. And I think we need a touch of God in our lives and we need something kind of rekindling in us. We have that first love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Yeah. And I think then perhaps when there is a, something that does frustrate us and we think, oh, that's not great. I mean, I can moan like the best of people, don't get me wrong. And you look through the Bible and the people of God moaned and moaned and moaned. But I think there's something in turning that into prayer. And this morning you were, talk about, you were talking about when there's something that frustrates you, mm. what can you do to step into that gap and yeah. to make a difference? Yeah, because I think Paul, the Apostle Paul, got frustrated with the churches. But there was never any question that he was going to abandon them. Yeah. Even if he was in prison, he's going to write to them. He's going to pray for them every day. He's committed. Yeah. Uh, even in his frustration. Some of Paul's letters, he's quite cross, really, with the churches. But he never gives any hint of, oh, I give up on you. Mm. Um, that's it. I'm not writing you any more letters. I'm not visiting you anymore. Mm. Never any hint of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's 100% it's commitment. Yeah.
Okay, a couple of questions um, talking about consistency. Somebody says, I don't feel like I'm great at being consistent. What are some ways that I can teach myself to be better? Probably one of the best things I'd say is, is learn from people in this church community. There are people here who have served God in the same way for 20, 30 years or more. And when you look at those people, and they, don't, they might not be the most exciting people to you straight away, but when you look at the impact those people's lives have had over that period of time, ask yourself, you know, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to be here and there and everywhere having a fun time? Would you want to make a difference to a community for that long mm. or to an organisation that's doing important work overseas for that long? Mm. Um, some, of the, some of the sending organisations, missionary organisations that this church is involved in supporting, they've been able to do their work over many, many years, and that's exciting because of people who have just consistently mm -hmm. given and given and given and given. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was a kid, the, the food we had on the table and the clothes we wore were because of little old ladies and, and families and individuals who worked normal jobs but would send money through the Baptist Missionary Society, and, and that's mm -hmm. what we ate off. And, and my mum and dad, some of my mum and dad's work was exciting. Mm -hmm. You know, the first baptism in Trapia in Brazil, you know, 70, 80 people getting baptised in one go mm. uh, in a community that was down and out, a community that was known as the place where people bought knives without sheaves because they were going to stick it in someone. Um, exciting stuff, but it came with years and years of commitment mm. and giving. And, and I think when you look at life that way, the fruit that comes with a long-lasting commitment, that's the real way you change the world. Not through quick, little, exciting things. And I'd say start off small. Yeah. So, so find where it is that God would have you serve now. And, and recognise as well that we're the body of Christ, that we're not all the same, but we need every single person mm. to, to glorify God and to fulfil his plans and purposes in the world. I always think of a Sunday. And for me, probably the most important people on the Sunday are the people out in the car park and the welcomers. Mm. You know, it's great that we have the worship and you guys, that's brilliant, but... We can't do it without everybody else. It's such a team effort. Mm. Uh, and so I think the whole consistency thing, don't think I'm going to do this for 20 years because that will freak you out. Mm. This week, I'm going to serve God. Mm. Next week, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to pray and say, God, here's my heart. Just use me. Just prompt me. Help me to fit in that role, that place that, that you've created me to be. And he'll use us. Yeah. Yeah. It is the small things, isn't it? I, I was thinking this week about how Jesus' ministry was funded by a bunch of ladies that barely get a mention. I think they mentioned maybe once in Luke. But his ministry, like his disciples and their food and, and the money coming in was this bunch of ladies who barely got mentioned. Mm. I think mm. One of them was an ex-prostitute, mm. a few middle-class ladies, and they just followed around and supported financially. Mm. Barely got a mention, but... <laughs> but it was such a crucial pretty, thing that they did. Pretty important ministry. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. How do we get out of the cycle of investing our treasure in things we don't love? For instance, our jobs that take up more of our energy than we'd like. I don't know. I don't know. I think you need to pray about it and ask God about it and, and ask him to show you. And if you're desperate enough, it to change then you'll go after it and it will change and if you're not desperate enough then it probably won't I think I'd also put probably a little caveat in mm. there and I would say sometimes we don't always see the places that God puts us mm. as um, 
spiritual opportunities. We often have this phrase of the spiritual and the secular. And quite often we see our jobs as the secular and anything to do with church and serving at church is the spiritual. Mm. And I wonder whether there's an element also of yeah. absolutely these things. Uh, many of you have jobs that are incredibly um, tiring and stressful. The conversations that I have, I just think, how on earth do you do your jobs? Mm. I think you do it by the grace of God. I think you do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think also rather than thinking this is taking up too much of my time, it is asking the question, God, is this the right place for me to be in? Absolutely. But I think as well, it's also saying, right now, God, this is where you've placed me. And rather than me being frustrated with the amount of time it takes, help me to see this as your opportunity, as my way of saying, here's my gifts, here's my time. Mm. It may look different to that which I first envisaged it to be, but, but I want to offer that and, and, and kind of give that to yeah. you. I don't know. Something I wanted to be careful about when I was getting ready for speaking tonight was to not give the impression that when you're investing in the kingdom of God, the only way you do that is if you're a missionary or a minister or doing some kind of Christian work. I wanted to be really careful about that. Uh, I'm really glad you brought that up, actually, Kath. Like, for me, I've, a number of different times in my life, people have come to me and said, you should go into a full-time Christian ministry. And I've prayed about that really seriously. And every time I've felt very clearly that, no, what you should be doing is a normal job. And that's where I want to, use, want to use you. And I think most people, the way God wants to use us is just in normal jobs. Mm -hmm. And we bring God's order and we bring mm -hmm. God's kingdom. Mm -hmm. And we speak to normal people in a normal way about how Jesus makes a difference in, in the world and in our lives. Mm -hmm. um, and I think work like what you do is essential and very important, but it's, it's for a minority in the community. And most of us should be doing normal jobs. Yeah. I, I see people doing normal jobs as the front line. Yeah. I think it's a far harder ministry, a far harder place to be. You're out there yeah. with so many people that don't have faith. Uh, and you're sharing Jesus in wonderful ways. And I want to encourage you to continue to do that. Uh, and just a couple of um, comments, because we've run out of time. I do apologize. Um, a couple of comments. Uh, someone said, I've learned through my walk with God that commitment is not dependent upon feelings. That can mean we have to choose to serve even when we don't feel like it. And then someone said, as a stark reminder tonight is a challenge and perhaps emphasizes how much we are invested in this world rather than the kingdom of God. A wise person once said, we will always find the time to do the things we want to do. Mm. Is this an issue of time management? I think sometimes it is how we use our spare time. Sometimes uh, we do have jobs that are all consuming and that's where God's placed us and it's about working in the midst mm -hmm. of that. Yeah, one thing about jobs as well, I think it is really important to talk to people about Jesus and share Jesus with people um, and see lives coming into the kingdom of God. But I think God also really cares about the way we do our work and the actual work itself is bringing order and beauty and organization, the kingdom of God into the way the world works. Mm. So like Dave, when he builds, absolutely, is, is building the kingdom of God. Mm. He's, he's bringing order and beauty into people's homes. Mm. Um, different people that work in healthcare, it's, it's bringing health and fullness mm. of life into people's lives. Mm. People that work in office jobs, it's bringing organization and structure. Um, I think some jobs aren't bringing in the kingdom of God, but a lot of jobs it is bringing order and beauty and, and 
the kingdom of God into the world mm. and the actual work itself is important. It's not just the telling. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Fabulous. Thank you so much, Paul. It's been wonderful uh, to ask you questions and to hear from you.